0: Welcome back, creeps. (laughs) Welcome to another installment of Weekly Creep, episode 71. Um, We always forget to do this, but if you are new, because I'm sure a lot of people are, I'm Adam, and this is Dulce. This is me. Yeah, this is me now. Um, And Weekly Creep, we just talk about creepy shit every week. That's why we picked that name. We just finished doing a whole series on ghosts and shit like that. This week, we're doing something a little bit different. And typically, what will happen is after one of these series, I'll basically be out of ideas because I've spent a long time focusing on one thing and I can't multitask. Yeah. So then we have a kind of slightly shorter one. And so I think this one will be probably, well, definitely shorter than the last one, but still pretty juicy episode. And uh, yeah, so all things true crime, murder and just strange.
1: Or interesting, rather.
0: So a lot of people really enjoy when we do this. Well, when Dulce pulls a tarot card and we just keep forgetting to do it because we were leaving it till the end of the episode. And by that point, we're like, okay, let's get it done.
2: we were like, ah. Yeah.
0: So uh, we're going to try and do it right (laughs) now before we start. And yeah, hopefully we can remember for next time as well. Yeah. Make this a thing. Mm. So go on.
1: All right. I will. pull me a card. And after I pull you a card, you want to tell them about your Christmas tree? Oh, hell yeah. Okay. So the tarot card of the day is the Five of Swords reversed. Today's message, watch out for a need to win or be right today. Though winning may be gratifying in the moment, your ego-based stubbornness will get in your own way eventually. It's okay to say, actually, you're right. Or, I need your help. It's not a sign of incompetency or weakness, it's a sign of growth. So uh, there you have it. You don't always have to be right. <laughs>
0: <laughs> okay, cool. Thank you. And yeah, so after I bitched the moan a couple of weeks ago on here, I was like, man, my mom didn't even send me an advent calendar. Dulce made me a Christmas surprise. I came home after working and uh, there's a little miniature Christmas tree and hand painted advent boxes.
2: <laughs>
0: yeah. So we have Christmas at the desk, but also Halloween because it's Halloween lights too. <laughs> <clears throat> it's great. I'll actually post the picture. I don't think I put a picture up on the weekly creep Instagram. But yeah, I'm very very grateful feeling the love this Christmas season.
1: Um Did she did she not send one over cuz she couldn't or because you're vegan?
0: I don't know. I think she just forgot cuz probably cuz we're heading over there or something. I don't oh. fucking know. Or maybe she just didn't do it this year.
1: Oh. Um so on the tree, you'll notice like a out of he's kind of like a fish out of water this big reindeer. And it just oh, like yeah. proportionately it just looks ridiculous because the reindeer's so big and the tree's so small. <laughs> but when we were shopping for ornaments, um Isaac, my 9-year-old nephew showed it to me and, and because it's shaped like an animal i know it's a thing it's not real it's not breathing i felt so bad for it because i was like what if no <laughs> what if no one ever buys him and he just ends up in the bin or alone somewhere like he's pr- and i didn't see any other reindeer left and i was like so i just, think he
0: was just a lonely one
1: yeah i just felt so bad for him i'm like he's kind of dirty and i don't care because i don't want to leave him alone <laughs> i'm taking him home
0: so we got an orphan reindeer. <laughs> I guess it's kind of like proportionate to the tree, like life size. Anyway, <laughs> getting on with it. Uh, funny names I encountered at work this week. Okay. Surname Mycock. No way. Swear to God, Shut yeah. Up. Just How Mycock. do you spell it? M Y C O C K. What? Mycock. That gave me a giggle. And then uh, today I had somebody whose first name was Poo Man. P O O M A N. Sagan. Poo Man.
1: Spell it again?
0: P O O M A N. Poo Man.
1: Wow. Like a
0: superhero who's super special, fucking. Uh,
1: it's the shit on command?
0: Powers, yeah. It's the shit on command or something.
1: That's wild. Yep. So. It, uh, it, I mean, it's probably from somewhere else and it means something else. Yeah, so
0: i uh, sorry if I've offended, like if I've upset your auntie or anything, but it was definitely an interesting one for me. Anyway, well, let's took get me stuck back. in. <laughs> Let's get stuck into this. So this week we're talking about a few different, again, kind of like the cryptid stories I did. Where I just grabbed a handful of stories that I had seen, Mm
2: -hmm.
0: but weren't big enough for one episode. So I was like, let me just combine them. And there's no rhyme or rhythm to the sequence of events or anything like that.
1: Okay.
0: Just, I think, four random stories.
2: Yay. Yes.
0: So... Late one August evening in 1992, an ambulance technician by the name of Gary Wood and his friend Colin Wright are driving along the A70 between Edinburgh and a small village by the name of Tarbrax in Scotland.
1: Love Scotland.
0: So it's supposed to be a straightforward enough trip that would normally only take around 30 minutes. The guys are going to this village specifically to drop off a satellite system to their friend, because this was nineteen ninety two, it was a quiet enough night, almost midnight, and not too many other cars on the road. Gary said he was driving at a safe enough forty miles per hour, okay. and the car had just passed, I, guess, I think Harper Rig Reservoir, when all of a sudden the two lads saw a two tiered disc shaped object hovering about twenty feet above the road. Whoa! And it definitely wasn't an aircraft, or an airplane, or a helicopter. So Gary's fighter flight kicked in. He elbowed the lock for the doors and just gunned it. And as they drove under the strange object, it emitted a silver shimmering mist. And just as it touched the car, both of the boys were plunged into total darkness.
1: Whoa. So it was coming at them. Yeah. Like head on or from behind?
0: From on top.
1: Oh, like the thing was
0: in the middle of the road. And as they drove under it, this mist, like, I guess, came down.
1: Okay. Okay. Okay.
0: Now, everything went dark, but only for like a split second. Mm -hmm. And then they could see again. And Gary was still going flat to the mat and he almost lost control of the car, but he managed to pull himself together just enough to finish their trip over to their mate. But by the time they got there, they were still freaked out. Naturally. Yeah. Yeah. And when they got there, Gary starts like frantically knocking on the door to get in. I think he was just like having a fucking panic attack by the sounds of things mm-hmm. and the friend was surprised to see them because he had just assumed that they'd made other arrangements that night because it was now around 1 in the morning or so and the guys had lost about 90 minutes Whoa! yeah so that little split second of darkness yeah. turned out to be more like 90 minutes that's that they so just scary had unaccounted for Yeah.
1: because what if they have implants now
0: well, they borrowed pens and pencils and drew what they had seen, like, mm-hmm. at their friend's house. Yeah. like just, just trying to describe what the fuck had happened. But that's all they could remember. Like, just... <laughs> what?
1: I'm just thinking about what I just told you. Like, oh, well, crap. They have implants now. And then like I imagine them with big tits. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> what the fuck, Gary? <laughs> um, anyway... <laughs> That's all they can remember, just seeing this thing and
1: well that's darkness good and that yeah. they remember, yeah.
0: But on the way home they took a different route because they were like <laughs> fuck that. And nothing bad happened. Okay. But Gary just had this like unsettling feeling and he just thought something had happened. Okay. Like and this time that they couldn't account for was a bad sign.
1: Yeah.
0: In the days after the strange encounter, he began he became plagued with strange nightmares and severe headaches boom they eventually became so bad that he was convinced there was something actually wrong with him like a tumor or something and he even had a cat scan done but nothing was found
2: Mm
0: -hmm. and as with most of these kinds of stories he was a very skeptical person Mm -hmm. before that fateful night but now he found himself struggling to believe such a black and white version of existence. Colin didn't believe in aliens, full stop. He had no time for that sort of thing. But Gary decided he had to do some research of his own and he went to the library.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Eventually, this research led him to get in touch with a Malcolm Robinson, founder of SPI, or Strange Phenomena Investigations. (laughs) Very to the point. After hearing this story, Robinson arranged to meet the lads and he said... Quote, I have never met such honest and sincere individuals. Hmm. One could see the trauma they had suffered and were still suffering. It sends shivers down my spine. I believed in them. Right on. Yeah, so Robinson was obviously the right guy to go to. Right. And then after this, I'm assuming their connection with Robinson led them to meet this other person, Helen Walters, Mm -hmm. who was a trusted hypnotherapist and psychic. Oh, and she was going to conduct some hypnotic regression sessions to see if they could find out what actually went on Ooh. that night. Now, I, guess, uh... I will say, like, obviously, I'm not a fucking therapist of any sort. I don't know how, like, I don't know how accurate or reliable or trustworthy these hypnotic regression sessions can be. Mm-hmm. But I know that, like, it's not just people in the paranormal realm that used this therapy Mm -hmm. you know what i mean like it's genuine survivors and
1: or they use it to quit smoking or
0: yeah yeah exactly
1: self-destructive behaviors
0: yeah so like there's a lot more than what i understand Mm -hmm. but anyway they went ahead with it they thought it was for the best okay and during his first session gary burst into tears and was visibly distraught Mm -hmm. but colin remained very calm okay over the course of the next few weeks worth of regression therapy, the stories began to take shape.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Gary recalled seeing vague shapes while both men's bodies jolted as they recalled the encounter. Now I'm going to include a long list of um, references in this one because normally I like don't just copy and paste, but this week I actually did because a lot of the stories were just very factual so I didn't fuck okay. with them. And cut so and dry. I, yeah, so I am for a lot of this, just retelling. But both men stated that the car was stopped after which the doors were opened by three small entities, now, both men separately, right? Colin recalled Gary being placed on a free floating stretcher. Gary experienced major abdominal pain and recalled another entity lurking behind part of the UFO. So I think, I don't know whether that means like inside or like just hiding behind the out. like what?
1: Yeah, a bush. Yeah. Maybe.
0: I'm not here. Colin was led up a ramp into the object where he found himself in a round room with a curved chair. Very men in black.
2: hmm
0: He was then stripped naked and placed on the chair where a medical examination was conducted on him. Gary remembers being taken into a round room with a raised table. He too was stripped and then placed on the table. Gary remembered... A grey arm was dropped onto his chest. So I I read this and I think it meant like to hold him down. Okay. But I guess it could just kind of... To him, staring straight up, it must have just seemed like it just landed on him or something. Yeah, yeah. But this arm, anyway, belonged to a small being who was four and a half feet tall with a childlike body. A large pear-shaped head with black eyes. So... Pretty basic description of a grey alien, right? Mm-hmm. But he also saw small brown beings with folds of skin covering their faces. And a small man dressed in a black suit. Just a regular dude. So a man in black, possibly. Whoa. Yeah, well, the little brown ones sound like Alf. <laughs> oh,
2: yeah, I
1: guess you're right, <laughs> yeah. huh?
0: Um, Alf or those like little... Chocolate-colored dogs, you know, with all the wrinkles on their faces. You mean a pug? Is it a pug? I or don't think... a But Yeah, I think it's a sharpei. Mm. I'm thinking of. Anyway, he recalled lying naked on this bed with two small creatures at the foot of the table. Table, sorry. One holding a bright diamond-shaped object, with pulsated with an orange light. The creature then began moving the diamond over his body. To his left, sitting on the floor, was a naked female... Who was crying and shivering. And he said in his mind, Why are you doing this? The reply he got was sing- simply, Sanctuary.
1: The fuck?
0: I don't know. Literally, I'm watching Twin Peaks at the minute. This sounds like a scene from like one of the dreams, and that.
1: It may be like a language barrier thing. That's Could like be, yeah. The yeah. closest word that they can think of.
0: Sanctuary, like safety or something like, I don't know.
1: Maybe like it's for their safety yeah. to ensure that their race, their ra- alien race survives. Are
0: they looking for a cure or something and that is their sanctuary? I don't fucking know. But it also didn't say, I think the naked female who was crying on the floor was a human, I'm assuming.
1: It kind of sounds like, yeah.
0: Yeah. Colin, on the other hand, found himself in a large glass or perspex chamber, naked and strapped by the ankles and wrists. Sounds like a Saturday night to me. <laughs> <laughs> Although he could only move his head slightly, he observed many other chambers also containing people. Whoa. He also recalled feeling as if a red-hot poker was being inserted into his eye and his mm. brain feeling as if it had swollen. Whoa. He was then dragged across the room by creatures before being dressed by the, quote, we aliens. <laughs> Remember they are in Scotland? Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> And then put back in the car. Both men came back from their encounter with scars, which previously were not there. So this just added to it. They were like, what the fuck is this? (laughs) Yeah. The two lads never changed their stories over the years and even went on TV to perform a lie detector test, Mm -hmm. which they passed. And the British government released previously classified documents in 2012 stating that they had actually investigated... Or had the case investigated by the Ministry of Defence as well, so it was taken very seriously. Whoa. So, yeah. what
1: were the, did they release the findings?
0: Well, like I'm sure you can find them if you do go and look, but mm-hmm. it was just that it was taken so seriously, and as well, the guys didn't want to go public with this. Mm-hmm. They did, like they, they were embarrassed about it and stuff. Right, but uh, I, Robinson, I I believe, was the one who actually encouraged them. Because like most researchers or investigators, he was like, guys, if you come forward, think about all the other people who are going to feel safe to come forward.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I wonder if they ever, if they maybe um, like looked into missing people.
0: Like from that area at that time or whatever?
1: No, just like, yeah, I mean that too, but like skimmed through the missing persons thing to see if they've maybe could identify the woman that was captured
0: oh shit yeah yeah. I i mean i i don't think so no so i mean according to colin there was a lot of other people on the ship
1: yeah that's what i'm saying like um if you could remember like
0: any of them like
1: yeah i wonder if like if you were to skim through them if one of them would jump out at him because his mind would make the connection. Yeah. Like, hey, yeah. I, I know where this person is. I've seen this person on that ship. I have no idea. Interesting.
0: April 1941, <laughs> Cape Girardeau. Oh, yeah, this
1: is it says story number two? Yeah, story okay. number
0: two. Like I said, there's no rhyme or reason to this. I just got stories and slapped them down because I was like, yeah. All right. just feeling aggressive about these UFOs.
1: Okay.
0: Also, Cape Girardeau is actually in Missouri. No shit. Yeah, <laughs> so it's probably like Cape Gerardo. That's probably how it's actually pronounced.
1: I feel like at the very least it could have at least it could at least exist in Canada.
0: I know, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking too. Oh. But anyway, April 1941, around 9.30pm around at night,
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: Reverend William Huffman gets a call about a plane crash and is asked to go and help.
1: The Reverend?
0: The Reverend, yeah. Like, go pray over oh, I the see. survivors or the dead or whatever. Like, what's
1: he going to do? Like... Yeah. Okay.
0: You're going to pray. That's what you're going to do.
1: All right.
0: Quote, when they got out there, it wasn't a plane crash at all. Oh. It was a saucer, was how he described it. Okay. Says Huffman's granddaughter, Charlotte Mann. When the Reverend got to the crash site, he was met with three bodies. Two dead and one very nearly dead. He got down on his knees to pray for them. And the last one died right there and then. Whoa! They were not human.
1: Mm, shut up!
0: And their ship was that of no man.
1: Well, yeah. <laughs> Ships go in water. Oh, what a <laughs> smart! Irony. You know, I, I wasn't even trying. I, like I, I, after I said it, I was like, oh. <laughs> in my head, at uh, myself. <laughs>
2: so
0: he described the bodies as alien-like creatures with short gray. Hairless bodies and almond-shaped black eyes.
1: No shit. Yeah. How small? You just said small. Short. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I'm like, I'm just like yeah. stunned. I'm still stunned. So you've been so stunned where you're just like, it's really hard to take in extra yeah, information because yeah, yeah. you're just like still trying to digest those morsels. Oh my god. <laughs> so holy shit.
0: But again, it's he's perfectly describing. The typical what you would expect. Of yeah. A, of a, a little alien gray. Gray. Yeah, little yeah, gray.
1: Yeah, a little gray.
0: Oh, wee and, gray. Yeah, a wee alien. And also, this was, I think, seven years before the Roswell incident.
1: Oh, shit.
0: Yeah. So for him to describe it like that, hmm. Roswell hadn't even happened yet.
1: Yeah, that's important. Yeah.
0: So when the Reverend was done praying, he got up to get a closer look at the aircraft. Again, according to Charlotte, quote, what he was most impressed with. Was in the inside, was on the inside. There were writings, but he did not recognize it.
1: He went inside.
0: Yeah, apparently, or at least got to look inside. That
1: man is fucking brave.
0: <laughs> he said it looked similar to hieroglyphics, wow. like Egyptian hieroglyphics. That's the quote. That's is. Isn't
1: there a theory that that's where they learned the shit from?
0: I mean, there's a huge fucking at the, at
1: the Egyptians. I mean, yeah, they learned yeah, hieroglyphics from aliens.
0: Yeah, and like. The aliens actually built the pyramids and blah blah Shit, blah. Shit, dude. Anyway, no, we're not going down that road. That's for like fucking twenty years' time. We do the weekly creep reboot, and we're like, <laughs> that's
1: for had the conspiracy podcast. Twenty years podcasts, worth of fucking studying, which yeah. we are not. <laughs> yeah,
0: or like three in the morning watching the History Channel.
1: Yeah,
0: he didn't have much time to investigate, however, as the crash site was soon taken over by military mm. personnel who told him this did not happen you did not see this what this is enormous national security you're never to speak of this again
1: bruh yeah let's
0: <laughs> what's the obi-wan quote oh i can't even fucking remember now. oh like, uh i know
1: you're talking these aren't
0: about the droids you're looking for
1: <laughs> yeah yeah
0: but he wasn't the only one at the scene like obviously there was firemen there was the sheriff at the time mm-hmm. all these people and It turns out a local photographer had managed to get a picture of the site and the bodies, which he made two copies of. One for himself and one for the good reverend. Because he too was sworn to secrecy, but he felt like he could trust the reverend enough to share this burden. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But apparently the reverend didn't do such a great job of keeping his mouth shut. Obviously, he had told his family this story. Right. He told his wife and they did keep it secret, but he would like... It's, by the sounds of things, it sounded like he would just mention it randomly and be like, oops, I do much. <laughs> like go back to his praying or, yeah. or whatever he was doing. But Charlotte did say like she had only heard the full story from her grandmother years after the grandfather had died mm-hmm. and when this woman was actually on her deathbed.
1: Whoa. She was like,
0: I suppose I can tell you about this now. Damn. Told her the full story. But the picture that the granddad had wasn't like hidden away and apparently charlotte had grown up looking at it what in this house. yeah saying quote you couldn't see those big eyes and not be affected mm. it wasn't anything i had ever seen what that's what she said so i honestly don't know whether it it's was not like, out
1: there is it the picture
0: the picture went missing
1: <gasps> no <laughs>
0: because the reverend loaned it to a friend who never returned it oh Oh, it's the like, friend
1: was a man in black. <laughs> Fuck. How did
0: you fall for such a...
1: Yeah. He so, just uh, had a wig on.
0: Yeah. Well, Gary, that's it. I'm not giving you back your dumb and dumber. Fuck. Type. But, yeah. Um,
1: I'm keeping your weed eater, goddammit. <laughs>
0: yeah. <The> weed whacker. <laughs> so, Charlotte wrote a book about the, the 1941 <laughs> thing. So, she went, like, balls deep researching this. Yeah. The sheriff of the town... Had died by the time she came around to research stuff. Okay. But his brother apparently knew the story as detailed as her Charlotte's grandmother did.
1: Yeah. I mean, when you have something like that, you have to confide in someone.
0: someone. I would be up at that gym telling everyone who checked fucking in. I'm like, guess what?
1: I'd be like, damn it, Adam. They're coming. <laughs> they're going to come <laughs> yeah, for you. Yeah. <laughs> There's only so many places I can hide you.
0: <laughs> but... Like, I don't know what the story was with this picture before it went missing. Like, was it just in a frame?
2: That's what it sounds like. On the dresser?
0: Yeah, so I don't know whether she just saw it once and it, like, you know, stuck with her, like, something like that would, you know what I mean? Yeah. But either way, while she was researching the whole story, the story was corroborated by town fire department records and also archives in Washington, D.C. In Washington, D.C. Yeah. Now, in the archives, it just said that there was an air crash in the town on this date at this time obviously it didn't go flying saucer yeah yeah. i mean but she was able to find enough evidence to prove that something happened that night yeah and this is the story so yeah (sighs) and that that story was actually the one that got me started on this little ufo episode this week
1: okay you know it'd be cool if she could commission someone to like because you know how like they're sketch artists for detectives and shit yeah
0: yeah so like i did look into it maybe maybe you could find it i only had a brief look there is like sketches and stuff but i think a lot of the pictures that i was seeing were actually pictures from the roswell incident because these two seem to be like brought up very often like especially in like the cheap newspapers are like well roswell happened this time 50 years ago but before roswell there was you know Mm mm-hmm And so I think the pictures are coming from the same articles with the Roswell stuff. Maybe I'll look into it more someday, but for now, I just like the story for what it is.
2: Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com.
0: And moving back across the pond. Early in the morning of December 1st, 1987, retired policeman Philip Spencer decided he would go for a walk across Ilkley Moor in the hopes of taking some nice photos in the early morning light. Yeah, it sounds like just a nice...
1: Where, where was this again?
0: Ilkley Moor. Ilkley Moor. So it's in England somewhere. Okay, I don't know. But I'm picturing somewhere very much similar to um, like Midsummer Murders style.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, these these details are important to me so I can like put the scenario. Picture yeah. And I can follow you better.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, a moor is just like a vast field with like boggy fucking grass and shit. You know what I mean? Like Like, white grass? Yeah, I guess. Like I think it's a land that can't be farmed, I'm guessing. I don't fucking know. It's green. And he was going for a walk. Okay. But. Good enough for me. But it was still really foggy as he headed out. So he was using his compass to navigate. Oh. Yeah. And like, obviously this guy lived there and he knew his path well enough. So he was heading like across the moor to a little village. And in the meantime, he was hoping to take some dope ass pictures, you know. (laughs) Nice. Um, Yeah. This one's for my rap album. (laughs) (laughs) Ilkley 412. But anyway, as he's making his way through the fog, he suddenly comes across this strange-looking being, with oh. large black eyes, uh-huh. pointy ears, long arms, and feet that were hoof-shaped. What? Hoof-shaped? <laughs> that's not even a word. <laughs> hoof-shaped. <laughs> I didn't even write shape. I, mean, like, I just made that up in my mouth.
1: I'm gonna wake up one morning. And I'm, uh, we're going to wake up one morning and I'm going to say, Adam, are you okay? You look hoof-shaped.
0: <laughs> I guess I think it's just a creak in my neck. Um. <laughs> anyway, he managed to get a picture of this thing
1: okay. as it ran off. Oh, no shit.
0: Yeah. And Philip chased him through the fog only what? to see a, a craft with a domed top rising from the moor and disappearing <gasps> into the sky.
1: Shut up. You know to be to be honest, it kind of sounds like uh, like a cat goat
0: cat, yeah, I guess the pointy is mm-hmm. except he was running on his hind legs and he believed the whole incident had must have only lasted a couple of minutes at most. Mm-hmm. but when he got to the village he was aiming for, the clock read an hour later than he expected what yeah
1: Damn. so so I wonder if like the way it travels manipulates time. Because he was chasing, it's not like he got, he didn't get abducted, he was chasing this thing, and it got in its whip, and it dipped.
0: So he didn't see it get in its whip and dip. Oh. He chased it, and it disappeared into the fog, and the next memory is this domed top thing oh. rising off the moor.
1: Well, that changes things, because I was like, well, if he just got in his whip and dip, then...
0: Well, that's how Spencer remembered it. Yeah. So, Spencer got the picture developed.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: We have the picture, okay, okay, of this little guy. All right. Now, it is blurry and it okay. is foggy that day or was foggy that day. But Spencer, uh, again, being a retired policeman was a well-respected, okay. well-believed person. So, it was recommended that he go and see a hypnotherapist. Okay. And while he was under hyp- hypnosis, he recounted the event and said the following. "'I'm walking along the moor. "'Oh, it's quite windy. "'There's a lot of clouds walking up towards the trees. "'I see this little something. "'Can't tell. "'But he's green. "'It's moving towards me. "'Oh, I can't move. "'I'm stuck. "'He's still coming towards me. "'And I still can't move. "'I'm stuck. "'And everything's gone fuzzy. "'I'm... "'I'm floating along in the air. "'I want to get down.' (laughs) And these green things walking ahead of me. And I don't like it. I still can't move. I'm going around the corner. And this green thing is in front of me. Oh, God. I want to get down. There's a there's a big silver saucer thing. And there's a door in it. And I don't want to go in there. Everything's gone black now. And that's where his memory stopped. Uh-huh. So he was abducted. Yeah. By the sounds of the thing. Yeah, it does. And there was multiple green things. Yeah. Whatever happened after that, I don't fucking know. He doesn't know, or at least he didn't want to fucking know.
1: Do we know what kind of camera he was using?
0: Uh, No.
1: <laughs> I The reason I ask is because, I mean, it was what? What year was it? Like in the 90s?
0: 1987.
1: Like he probably doesn't have like a big shot camera.
0: No, like I'm sure it was a nice enough camera, but either way it was proven that the photo had not been doctored with. Yeah. Remember, it was easier to prove when... Oh,
1: I see. Okay, it wasn't. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. I feel like aliens, some are more violent in nature than others. It's almost like they have different kinds of agendas. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so far, I feel like the gray ones are probably the most malicious. With probably like intentions of like studying us. Kind of like how... Humans test on animals just for the fuck of it or even people for that matter, just for the fuck of it. Yeah. I feel like that's the equivalent of a gray, you know, and so, then for the name of science or the advancements of humankind, but just yeah. the acts themselves are just atrocious, you know what I
0: mean? Yeah, no, they're pretty fucked up, but like I'm not getting into the whole alien race theory because all the different like tears and stuff and then when you get down to it, you're just like. Every book is just this own person's guess at what yeah could potentially be. But they're like, no, this is it. They all came from the Pleiadian blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I don't know. But anyway, here's this picture. Whoa. Yeah. Now, I don't see any pointy ears, but it is pretty foggy.
1: Yeah. And Here's it
0: enhanced. Whoa.
1: Is that the back? Or is that the no, face?
0: This is the face. I think these are the two eyes, right? Stare straight on. Hold on, I'm going to show you one more. Whoa! Does that make more sense? It's standing on two legs with arms and a head. Damn,
1: look at those fucking arms.
0: Yeah, so he did describe it as having long arms. So that's
1: his face?
0: Yeah, on its head.
1: See, I was looking at this as a beak. And this is Uh, the side of his face.
0: No, I think that's just the way...
1: Oh, that's so weird.
0: just, Just the way the light was hitting it. And like again, this has been enhanced Like compared to the original. The original is very... Like, yeah. It's very, a picture very... taken in 1987.
1: Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like how primates their arms are long.
0: Yeah, yeah, like a kind of a green lizardy monkey man. Yeah. So anyway, on to our last story of today. At 11 minutes past 5 on November 17th, 1986, Japan Airlines cargo flight 1628 was flying over Alaska on its way from Reykjavik and the crew noticed two unidentified objects to their left. These abruptly rose from below and closed in to escort their aircraft. Each one had two rectangular arrays of what appeared to be glowing nozzles or thrusters, though their bodies remained obscured by the darkness. These two crafts departed before a third, much larger, disc-shaped object started trailing them. Anchorage Air Traffic Control requested an oncoming United Airlines flight to confirm the unidentified traffic, but when it and a military craft sighted JAL 1628 at about 1751, or 551, no other craft could be distinguished. The sighting lasted around 50 minutes and ended in the vicinity of Denali. The crew of this Boeing 747 consisted of Captain Kenju Tarachi, an ex-fighter pilot with more than 10,000 hours of flight experience, co-pilot Takanori Tamafuji, in the right-hand side, I guess that's where the co-pilots go, and flight engineer Yoshio Chukuba. The report says that as soon as JAL 1628 straightened out of its turn at 1711, 511, Captain Tarachi noticed two aircraft to his far left, and some 610 meters below his altitude, which he assumed to be military aircraft. These were pacing his flight path and speed. At 1718 or 19, the two objects abruptly veered to a position about 500 feet, or 150 meters, in front of the aircraft. That's like smacking distance away compared to a Boeing and then they assumed a stacked configuration. In doing so, they activated, quote, a kind of reverse thrust, and their lights became dazzlingly bright. To match the speed of the aircraft from their sideways approach, the objects displayed what Tarachi described as a disregard for inertia. Quote, The thing was flying as if there was no such thing as gravity. It sped up, then stopped, then flew at our speed, in our direction, so that to us, it appeared to be standing still. The next instant, it changed course. In other words, the flying object had overcome gravity. The reverse thrust caused a bright bright flare for 3 to 7 seconds, to the extent that Captain Tarachi could feel the warmth of their glows. Air traffic control was notified at this point, this is at 5.19 and 15 seconds, They could not confirm any traffic in the indicated position. After 3-5 to minutes, the objects assumed a side-to-side configuration, which they maintained for another 10 minutes. They accompanied the aircraft with an undulating motion and some back-and-forth rotation of the jet nozzles, which seemed to be under automatic control, causing them to flare brighter or duller luminosity. Like, depending on what they were doing. Each object had a square shape, consisting of two rectangular arrays of what appeared to be these glowing nozzles or thrusters, separated by a dark central section. Captain Tarachi speculated in his drawings that the objects would appear cylindrical, if viewed from another angle, and that the observed movement of the nozzles could be ascribed to the cylinder's rotation. The objects left abruptly at about 17.23 and 13 seconds, moving to a point below the horizon to the east. Where the first objects disappeared, Captain Tarachi now noticed a pale band of light that mirrored their altitude, speed and direction. Setting their onboard radar scope to a 25 nautical miles or 46 kilometre range, he confirmed an object in the expected 10 o'clock direction at about 7.5 nautical miles or 14 kilometres distance and informed the Anchorage air traffic control of its presence. Anchorage found nothing on their radar but Elmendorf's NORAD Regional Operations Control Center, or ROC, directly in, a, in his flight path reported a, quote, surge primary return after some minutes. I don't know what the fuck that means, but apparently it showed uh, like a disturbance in the force. Mm-hmm. As the city lights of Fairbanks began to illuminate the object, Captain Tarachi believed to perceive the outline of a gigantic spaceship on his port size that was, quote, twice the size of an aircraft carrier. So not even just a regular plane, but a fucking aircraft carrier.
1: Yeah, those things are huge.
0: Yeah. It was, however, outside of the first officer Tamafuji's field of view. Mm -hmm. And just for the record, I know this because I googled it earlier, port side is left. Okay. So that's why Tarachi could see it, but the co-pilot couldn't Mm -hmm. because the co-pilot was sitting on the right. Right. Tarachi was on the left. The object followed in formation or in the same relative position throughout the 45 degree turn, a descent from 35,000 to 31,000 feet and a 360 degree turn. The short range radar at Fairbanks Airport failed, however, to register the object, even though it was gigantic. And the reason why they did the 45 degree turn, the drop in altitude and the 360 turn was because they were being uh, advised by air traffic control to like. Lose it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, that's what like, it sounds if, like. If you can see this thing. Try and fucking lose it, and mm-hmm. just see what happens. Just as well as supposed to make sure it's not like some weird, like trick of the fucking light as well. Yeah, yeah. And it followed them the whole fucking time.
1: It was able to keep up with them despite its size.
0: Yeah, and conveniently, maybe still staying in that same point of view, so only Captain Tarachi could see it.
1: Strange.
0: Yeah. Or was it genuinely following them? So, Anchorage Air Traffic Control offered military intervention, which was declined by the pilot due to his knowledge of the Mantell incident, which I'll touch on later. The object was not noted by any of the two planes which approached JAL 1628 to confirm its presence, by which time JAL 1628 had also lost sight of it. So... The guys landed safely in Anchorage at around 1820 or 620. So by the time when they like announced to air traffic control, like, holy fuck, we're seeing some weird shit up here. Air traffic control were like, right, well, we have another plane X amount of miles away. We'll send him slightly over just to check you out, make sure you're good. But by the time he got there, the JAL 1628 were like, ah, no, it's cool. The guys are gone anyway. Like, Mm. you missed it. Yeah, yeah. But Tarachi, the pilot, was not shy about what they had supposedly seen. And he filed a report with the Federal Aviation Administration who ultimately said it was all bogus and they tried to just sweep it under the rug. Tarachi was grounded afterwards by uh, Japan Airlines and wasn't allowed to fly for like a good few years. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Eventually, he got his job back. But even UFO researchers took his story with a grain of salt because apparently Tarachi was a repeat offender, having reported at least two incidents prior to this event and more when he eventually did get back flying. But the other crew members did see it, or they at least saw the two smaller crafts. Mm -hmm. Maybe they were just quieter about it. Maybe they saw what happened to Tarachi and were like, oh, I'm not fucking getting involved. Like, I don't want to lose my job.
1: Yeah, you don't want to be the molder of, like, the... I don't know, the fucking pilot association. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like they maybe they had young families at home, and they're like, "Shit, I can't afford to yeah. r- ruin my good name." But in January of nineteen eighty-seven, barely two months later, um, Alaska Airlines Flight Fifty-Three reported a fast-moving object on their radar, and although they could not physically see it, they were able to note that it was moving at about five miles per one-second sweep of the radar. Which works out as roughly 18,000 miles per hour. Oh. Now the pilot reported it as 3,600 miles per hour to the control tower. I think he was trying to play it down. Yeah, yeah. But he was still like, yo, I'm seeing something fucking weird up here. Yeah. And whatever. But as well, it was going so fast that almost by the time he had reported it, it was gone off his radar again.
1: I feel like air control, like before they put you in that kind of job. I think, I absolutely think that they're like, if you see anything weird while you're doing it. this yeah. job, don't mention it. Don't make a big deal out of it. It's probably a part of their training.
0: Probably. But as well, like for the most part, I think a lot of pilots just assume it's military. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But when it's undeniably something strange no yeah no i don't mean no no i know know. yeah
1: because they're the ones looking at the sky basically like with that graph thing that they use
0: radar yeah yeah yeah, the radar sorry and the very next day after so this was again in alaska i don't know like how fucking close but the very next day a u.s air force kc-135 whatever that is jet flying from anchorage to fairbanks once again observed a very large disc-shaped object. The pilot reported that the object was 12 meters, or 40 foot, from his aircraft. Oh. The object then just disappeared out of sight.
1: So very much in plain sight.
0: I mean, he fucking could have reached out and touched it. They could yeah, have done yeah. that, like, they... car bro fist bump as they drove past. You know what yeah. I mean? But yeah, and that was US Air Force. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, this was all within the space of like a couple of months. Yeah. And I don't know. It makes it seem a lot more believable to me now. Yeah. And anyway, the Mantell incident, which was touched on by Captain Tarachi's knowledge of the event. The Mantell incident happened in 1948 in Kentucky when 25-year-old Captain Thomas F. Mantell was sent in pursuit of a UFO and crashed his plane when he pursued the object in a steep climb and disregarded suggestions to level his altitude. At high altitude, he blacked out from lack of oxygen, and oh. his plane went into a downward spiral, and he crashed and mm-hmm. died. Yeah. Later, as Project Blue Book was released, according to Project Blue Book, um, he was actually chasing a quote skyhook balloon which in 1948 was a top secret project, which they would have had no information about. Mm -hmm. So for one, that's why Tarazi didn't want any military help when it was offered. He was like, I don't want anybody coming out here and dying and then me getting the blame for it.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay.
0: And two, it could have just been another military project. You know what I mean? That he was unaware of to begin with, you know what I mean? Like top secret fucking military shit going down.
1: What was the name of this project? he was chasing?
0: Oh, Skyhook Balloon. What I don't, the fuck does that mean? I don't know. Uh, like it could genuinely be a weather balloon. A Skyhook Balloon is a high-altitude balloon developed by Otto C. Winson and General Mills Incorporated. They were used by the United States Navy Office of Naval Research in the late 1940s and 50s for atmospheric research, especially for constant-level meteorological observations at very high altitudes. Okay. But once released... I think they literally just shoot up into the air. Not like a rocket, but like...
1: so a weather balloon.
0: Yeah, it is a weather balloon, yeah. So this is... That was probably one of the very few occasions when they could genuinely blame it on a weather balloon. Yeah. But anyway, that's the story. That's this week's episode. Yeah, hope you all had fun. (laughs) (laughs) Like I said, this was just a little collection of smaller stories that I had heard or, or read and wanted to get them included in somewhere. And... We'll be back next week with something a little bit more in-depth. More meaty. More meaty. But let us know what you think. And I'm, I have a couple of photos to go up on the Instagram from this episode. Mm. And we hope you enjoyed the soundtrack in the background. Hopefully I'll be able to take that off uh, as much as possible. Um, but yeah.
1: And if you don't know what soundtrack he's talking about, awesome.
0: Yeah, all right, guys. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook. Actually, just follow us on Instagram and YouTube and shit yeah. like that. Thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. And, uh, yeah.
1: That's it. We'll see you next week.
0: Oh, actually, apparently there's uh, reviews now on Spotify. So definitely get on reviewing. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know if they're actually out yet, but it's coming. Oh, shit. So just review us wherever you can because it really helps us a lot. And, uh, yeah. Hope you guys are all having a fucking wonderful time. All right? Okay. Right. Bye.
1: Bye. Hello? <laughs> <Mama>. <laughs> Levages a la tele poquito, por favor. No quiero. No, no, ah, don't make me go over there and hide the remote. <laughs> no, okay, okay. <laughs> Se lo voy a dar a Max. No me amas, lo metí en la cola. Eww. No, you want to know what she said? I heard. <laughs> oh, he heard you, mom. <laughs> okay, yeah.
0: Hey she's gonna stick it over blood. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>